All right, everybody, uh, we're going to get started. Uh, you all know Patrick, and uh, like me, I hope you're all looking forward to learning more about uh, how one of our members is influencing our local community. Okay, good morning. Thank you. So uh, a couple things. First, um, I apologize for my voice. I, it went away this week and is slowly coming back. Um, so I apologize for that. I'm going to channel my inner John and have water here. Um, during the, the talk. Um, the second thing is um, the description that was in all of the publications that went out, talk, uh, you know, which I provided, said I was going to talk about uh, kind of the organization I work for, work with, um, our local economy, and then a topic called inclusive economic development and what that is. And as I started putting this together, um, I, I determined that that inclusive economic development is worthy of, of an entire form in and of itself. So I'm hoping, um, Jim, maybe I can sign up for some time in the spring and do another one on that topic. And I'll touch on it very briefly today. Um, but that's something I think that would be um, interesting to the, to the congregation here. And it deserves more than, than five or ten minutes to, to talk about. Um, so what I will talk about is the organization that I work for. I'm the <clears throat> executive director for Los Alamos Commerce and Development Corporation. So we are a private, nonprofit, economic and community development firm. So we're not part of the county government. We're not part of the laboratory. We're a private company just like any other private company, like CB Fox or Pet Pangea or, or anyone else. Um, we oftentimes get confused as being as part of the county. Um, we work very closely with the county um, a lot. So I'll talk about that. You can see the, the slide here references a, a Chamber of Commerce business breakfast. And that's I, I pulled some slides from that presentation and from another one that, that I did a, about a month or two ago. So <clears throat> that's, that's where that came from. So we'll go ahead and, and start. So let me tell you first about Los Alamos Commerce and Development Corporation because we're a, a, a bit of a unique um, structured organization for economic development when you look at other economic development organizations across the state and across the country. Um, we were established in 1983 as Los Alamos Economic Development um, Corporation. Um, we are, like I said, a nonprofit, a 501c6, which means we're a non-charitable organization. Um, we're a membership-based. In 1999, the board of directors of the EDC and the Chamber of Commerce decided since um, a lot of them were on both boards and both organizations were struggling financially for resources, that they would just combine and have a shared mission. Um, and so that's how we, how the CDC came to be and how we're a little different than other communities. So think of LACDC as an umbrella organization with multiple programs underneath it. So we run the Chamber of Commerce. We run the Los Alamos Meeting and, and Visitors Bureau. We run our Los Alamos Main Street program. Um, we own and operate and are developing the Los Alamos Research Park, which is the, the building that Hot Rocks Cafe is in, directly adjacent to TA3. Um, we'll talk about these a little bit more. Um, we operate the Small Business Center downtown. And then our newest initiative is an entrepreneurial co-working space uh, named Project Y. So we are, people always ask, how are we funded? Are we subsidized by the county or by the federal government? Um, the majority of our funding is self-generated through rental income that we derive from the research park property. Um, we do some contractual work for the county. So we operate the visitor center here in, in Los Alamos and down in White Rock on a contract for the county. 
And uh, part of our Main Street program, funding for events that are put on is, is a contractual relationship with the county as well. And I have a, a board of directors, a 17-person um, board of directors that's made up of, of community leaders um, and stakeholders that vary from financial institutions to local small businesses to um, Stephanie Garcia-Richard, our, our state representative and, and member here, um, to representatives from the laboratory. So we try to reach um, a, across the community with our board of directors. Next slide. So our Chamber of Commerce. Um, <clears throat> that is a, a membership-based program like any other Chamber of Commerce. Um, and we provide benefits to our, our Chamber members through visibility, advocacy, and resources. Um, our Chamber of Commerce has increased its membership um, by about 13% over the last year, which is kind of bucking the national trend of um, uh, organizations leaving their local chambers of commerce. Um, we've been very active here. Um, some of that national trend has been uh, chambers deciding to de-affiliate themselves with the National Chamber of Commerce, which has become a very partisan lobbying organization. We've not been affiliated with that group um, for some years. Some of it's just uh, been slow recovery from the recession in 2008 where businesses aren't able to, to pay membership dues. But here locally, um, our membership, like I said, has increased about 13% in the last 12 months. And we work on a variety of, of things. Some advocacy um, examples are we've spent a year working on our local sign code, which uh, uh, there are some members of this organization with this building that are familiar with difficulties with that, um, to try to make it more business friendly. So we've received a lot of input from the business community on what parts of the code work and don't work, and we're working with the county to, to change that. Another thing we're doing is our, our chamber director, um, Nancy Partridge, is... Um, and myself are going to be working with uh, Congressman Lujan to try to get um, some language crafted to, to draft a bill that he'll carry, hopefully, um, that um, in, in regards to allowing pooling uh, small companies to pool together to buy health insurance so it's more affordable. So if you've got eight or ten small companies that, are, that employ five or six people, they all pool together in one pool, it drops the, the premium rates. So that's something that, that we're working on there. Our Main Street program um, is focused on uh, downtown revitalization and redevelopment. And this is part of a statewide program and then part of a larger national Main Street program. Um, and so what we do through Main Street is try to get more people downtown more of the time for shopping and recreation. So the, the major components of Main Street are events that we put on. So if you're familiar with Science Fest, with Trick or Treat on Main Street, with Winterfest, um, with the Fair and Rodeo Parade. Those are all Main Street programs and events that we, that we put on. So Science Fest that we do every July, um, that's kind of our largest signature event. Um, it's, um, it takes about 10 months to plan each year, so we're already well into planning for, for next July's Science Fest. And the, like I said, the purpose of this is to hold events and to hold other activities downtown that bring people downtown. So when these events take place, um, then we go back and talk to the businesses and say, you know, gee, what was the traffic like? What was your customer traffic like during the events? And um, every year we're getting more and more feedback that, yeah, this was a great weekend for sales. There were a ton of people downtown. Um, this year at Science Fest, we estimated almost 10,000 people at all of the various different events that we had um, combined, and, and uh, our best guess is about 19% 
of that were visitors from out of, out of town, out of the community. Um, some within New Mexico, some from out of state. Some that told us they came to um, Los Alamos that weekend specifically for Science Fest. Underneath Main Street, which I don't have list, listed here, is the Creative District. Um, and our, our creative uh, program, creative district program, is based on economic development through arts and culture. So we work with the creative types, uh, visual arts, performing arts, um, again, to try to spur economic development activity through arts and culture in our creative district downtown. <clears throat> our Meeting and Visitors Bureau um, is, is a very standard Meeting and Visitors Bureau, so we help uh, groups that are coming in to hold events in town with logistics. We pass out welcome bags to groups that have information about local businesses, coupons, that type of thing. And then that, that organization runs the visitor centers, as I said, here and in White Rock. The research park property, um, so the, the land, uh, we actually lease about 44 acres of land from the Department of Energy um, that is directly to the north side of West Hamez Road next to the old fire station, and it extends west. Um, so that, depart, or that land is, is DOE land that we're on a, a long-term 55-year lease with them. We built and own and operate an 83,000-square-foot building there um, that is, is currently about 79% occupied by private industry and 19% occupied by um, the National Laboratory. So the, the purpose of that, that building and of the rest of the park is to bring industry in to close proximity so that there are collaborative opportunities with, with the laboratory. Um, we're working on a, a second building there that um, hopefully within the next uh, you know, 12 to 18 months, we, we may realize that, and then we're looking at um, a, a third building that's more of a long-term uh, major project, kind of on a five-year time horizon to continue to develop out there. Um, both of those will be privately owned by, by a development organization um, that we're working with to do that. So our, our company probably will not own those buildings. Small Business Center downtown um, is, is directly behind the post office. We offer small individual office space for companies that don't, uh, don't have the ability yet to go sign a five-year-long commercial lease, um, just need a single office. So we have massage therapists, mental health care practitioners, lawn service, accountants, that type of thing. The Firstborn program is a, is a tenant in, in that building as well. Um, so next slide. And then our newest uh, initiative, Project Y. Um, so just a show of hands, how many people know what a co-working space is? Okay, so a few people. So co-working spaces have become very, very popular across the country in the last five years, mainly in large urban areas. And it's... Um, it sprung from a demand of, of how millennials like to work. Um, they don't want to go into an office every day. They don't want to spend time commuting. A lot of them are starting their own companies. A lot of them are self-employed and may work on three or four or five different types of projects at the same time. So co-working spaces are large collaborative spaces where people can come in and buy a membership, a day pass, a week pass, a monthly membership, and basically office in an area um, either in a, a semi-private office or kind of an open collaborative area where they can interact with other people who are doing the same thing. So you have solo entrepreneurs, you have freelancers, you have uh, people who work at home and need to work somewhere other than um, at home when the dogs are barking and the garbage truck's going by or in Starbucks where there's people everywhere talking. Um, so it's, it's a, an opportunity to come in, sit down, 
work, develop your business, and interact with other people who are doing the same thing. And they've become very, very popular. There's about 9,000 um, in the world right now, uh, and it's projected to grow to about 30,000 spaces worldwide in the next five years. Albuquerque has about four or five co-working spaces. Um, Santa Fe is trying to figure out how to open one. Um, we opened this one in, in uh, June of this year, um, and it's we, we've uh, actually got a lot of attention for this. Um, we're speaking at a, a national conference in May on, on Project Y and are hoping to speak at an international conference in September on it as well. And, and what's different about our co-working space than the standard model is most co-working spaces are for-profit um, ventures. So like, it, someone will come in, start a co-working space, and, and you know, the bottom line is to make money off of it. Um, Ours is very different. This was a collaborative model between LACDC, um, Los Alamos County, and the National Laboratory. And so funding and resources from all three organizations were put into operating this space. Um, and also the, the property owner at Central Park Square contributed as well with um, build out of a conference room and a kitchen in the space. So that's a very unique model for co-working spaces. Most of the time they're either 100% subsidized by the municipality or they're a for-profit venture. Um, so we're really unique, especially with the laboratory being involved. Um, and that's something that we're looking at um, potentially going to other communities with national laboratories and trying to help them replicate that model across the country. Um, so we have a conference room there. We have high-speed internet. Uh, people come in, can rent the conference room for a day or for an hour. We've hosted, um, in six months, I think we've hosted uh, well over 100 events. We've had over 1,000 attendees. We average about six or eight people a time at any given time working in the space. And for comparison, the large co-working space, uh, Fat Pipe in Albuquerque, usually has 12 to 13 people at a time. Um, so I think for our little community, it's, it's done very well in terms of attendance. Um, there's four or five events there a week. Every, uh, a lot of it is entrepreneurial training and support. So you know, classes on how do you start a business, how do you market the business, how do you go after uh, technical grant opportunities from the federal government, how do you uh, write a patent application. So a lot of that type of, of education goes on there. Um, investment education for your business. Um, we're host hosting tax seminars uh, this month. So there's a lot of opportunities um, for education there. We also um, host TED Talks every Tuesday that are open to the public. You can come in at noon, watch a TED Talk with a group, and just hang out and discuss it. Um, there's a full kitchen there. It's, it's BYOB friendly, so you can go across the street and, and get a growl or a beer from the brew tub and come back and hold a meeting if you want to. Um, we have a lot of people that, that hold their... Uh, their community organizational meetings there in the evenings. Um, so it's been, it's been a great asset to the community, um, and, and we hope that continues in the future. So, next slide. So now I'll talk a little bit about <clears throat> the Los Alamos economy, where it is right now, at least from, from my perspective. Um, so we'll talk about the business environment, the impact that LANL is having on our community in terms of the hiring spree that, that they're on right now, and then some issues that we face going forward here. So our uh, local business environment, so growth areas, um, technology startups. Um, for a long time here uh, in, in town, I've been here almost 15 years, uh, there's been talk of, gee, we should be the next Silicon Valley. We should have technology startups coming out of the laboratory at a constant pace all the time. And it hasn't happened, and, and there's a variety of reasons why. Uh, but what we've seen here in the past, I would say, 12 to 18 months 
is a, a very strong uptick in that. Uh, there's been six to eight companies within the past 12 months, um, brand new technology-based companies, um, some life science-based, some material science-based, that have started up, they've spun out of the laboratory, they, they are bringing laboratory intellectual property and technology out with them, and, and they've garnered investment. Um, some of the companies, multi-millions of dollars, um, have already been invested in, in these companies. So we're starting to see what we've hoped to have been seeing at least for the last 15 or 20 years in terms of a, a constant pipeline of new companies coming out. And what that really does here is um, diversifies our, our job base and our economic base. So in, in traditional economic development, I mean, in a lot of communities, people in my position are, are chasing jobs. Their communities need jobs. There's a the high unemployment rate. We're different here. We have more jobs than we have people. Um, our unemployment rate is consistently under 3%. Um, that 3% is out of the workforce probably on a, on a more permanent basis. It's not job seekers, um, active job seekers. So what we really focus on is job diversification so that if someone comes here to work at the laboratory and they have uh, a highly educated, um, highly experienced spouse, the trailing spouse issue, there are opportunities for them to work in the community as well. Or with the younger work generation, the millennial generation, who does not want to work at the same job for 30 years of their career, and they'll work five years, then they'll move somewhere and work two years, move somewhere else and work, work three years. That's really what we're focusing on. And so these technology companies are a great vehicle to do that. Um, so that's, that's been one area of growth. The second area has been um, that I think has a, a big potential is hospitality-related businesses. So that's retail, restaurant, lodging, anything that appeals to visitors or tourists. Um, with the addition of the Manhattan Project National Historical Park here and Los Alamos County branding itself as a gateway to three national parks, there's a real opportunity um, to capitalize on, on tourism traffic coming in. Um, you know, There are some communities that want to uh, turn themselves into a, a completely tourist-based economy. Um, I always push back against that. That's a very uh, um, variable economy. If the price of oil goes high, your tourism drops. Weather can impact tourism. The economy impacts tourism. So um, we see tourism as a, as a piece of the economic development pie and of our economy, but not something we want to push everything towards. Um, that being said, though, uh, the hospitality-related businesses, I think, have a, a big growth opportunity here and we're working on, on trying to grow that industry. Um, what I would call holding steady um, right now, and in fact that is probably a little bit of a misnomer because it's not just holding steady, but actually doing quite well, is our, our existing local market economy. Um, and that's all of our local shops, both uh, locally owned mom and pop type shops and uh, you know, national chains that are here in town. Um, you know, you, you kind of hear in social media and, and on the street all the time that Los Alamos is a hard place to do business and the town doesn't support local businesses. But when you go out and actually talk to the business owners, um, a lot of them are reporting that this is the second year in a row where they've seen very, very good sales, increased sales over the last year. So the business owners themselves are, are quite happy this year with um, the way things are going and the spending that's occurring. And so what you see is the businesses that have a sound business plan, that offer a product that people want to buy, that have good service, they're doing quite well in town. Um, they have been for two or three years now. Um, areas of opportunity. Um, so healthcare. With uh, an aging population here, there's always a need for healthcare services, um, whether it's home-based healthcare, whether it's um, assisted living type, type options. 
Um, there, there's an opportunity there. Um, mental health care, we, we have a, a pretty severe shortage of, of mental health care practitioners for um, the, the demand that we have, and we've, we've heard forums on, on that topic um, previously here. Hotel, we desperately need a hotel in town. We're down to 213 hotel rooms. Um, the hotel rooms that we do have, the, the hotels we have are reporting occupancy rates in the high 80s to low 90s. Typically, when you hit 65% occupancy or above in a community, that's an indication that you need another hotel, and we're in the high 80s to low 90s. Um, so we're desperately working on that. There, there is a, an abandoned hotel in town that is, um, you know, the, the old Hilltop House. Um, is, and it's public knowledge that that's been purchased by um, the Sipapu Group, the same group that's working to operate the ski hill and own Sipapu Ski Resort. Um, but they have yet to go in and, and do anything with that um, yet, and I believe they closed on that property a little over a year ago. Um, so we're hopeful someone can move there, and then we've got a couple of vacant parcels in town that I think are very appropriate for hotel development, and we continue to work on that um, on a constant basis. And then lastly, outdoor recreation and tourism. So there's, there's a real opportunity for Los Alamos to market itself as a high-altitude recreation destination, whether it's hiking, skiing, mountain biking, uh, you know, we have great facilities here. The, the county council is looking to potentially put more money into recreational facilities. There's going to be, if, if people aren't aware, a, a bond package that will um, come out uh, on a ballot this spring that the county is considering that will have somewhere between 8 and 10 recreation-based capital improvement projects. Um, and it'll be a, you know, somewhere around a $30 million bond package that voters will decide whether they want to um, to bond out to um, enhance some recreational opportunities here. But that's, that's a, a growing industry as well. So what is our, our company working on um, specifically? So I, I've touched on some of this. So we've really tried to focus on Project Y and entrepreneurship over the past six months. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that your economy is never going to move forward and become vibrant unless your local economy is thriving. So you can go out and chase companies from other areas and try to recruit them in as much as you want. But if you don't have a vibrant local economy, um, you're not going to be successful at that. Um, so again, our, our chamber exploring healthcare pools for members, working on the sign code, um, our Main Street events. Um, one thing I didn't mention, Main Street, the, the streetscape on Central Avenue. So all of the kind of 1940s era traffic lights that you see, or, or uh, uh, street lights that you see, the benches, the trash cans, um, that was all paid for in part by a grant our Main Street program got um, in conjunction with, with the county government to redo the streetscape on, on Central, which um, I think looks very, very nice. Um, National Park Advocacy. Um, we've been working hard with the national park system on, on the new national park. Oh, our, our Main Street, I should give them kudos. They have, uh, for two years in a row, our Main Street program has been named one of ten, um, top ten Main Street programs in, in the country. So it's the Great American Main Street Award, and we've been a, a top ten finalist two years in a row for that award. And then we've advocated on some of the capital improvement projects. Initially, there were three projects with those recreation projects I mentioned that were more economic development based. Um, one was the extension of 20th Street south of Trinity. Um, there's a company operating their business in the Smart House right now. 
that uh, you know potentially could expand. Um, there's been some interest on properties there at 20th and on the south side of Trinity where 20th Street would extend from other companies in terms of acquiring property. And so we advocated um, with the county and the county council on that project. Um, with the uh, a second one would be a, a kind of uh, improvements to the Deacon Street area so that it's more visually appealing. Um, so there's landscaping in there. And when visitors or tourists are walking from Central over to Trinity or vice versa, instead of going through a parking lot with the backs of buildings and dumpsters and uh, loading docks, try to make that a more pedestrian-friendly type area. Third one that's not mentioned up here is, is bringing utility infrastructure to a piece of property that is a prime candidate for, for housing. We'll touch on housing in a minute. Um, next slide. So Lanel, um, the impact. So Lanel, if you're not aware, is on a fairly significant hiring spree, the, the largest one they've had in, in about 20 years since the mid-'90s. Um, so they've hired, and this number has is, is increased now. Over the past 18 months, it's closer to about 1,300 new employees. Um, they have projected to hire 2,000 to 2,200 additional over the next three to four years. Um, they're hiring across all areas of the laboratory, so it's not just scientists. Scientists, technicians, business support, procurement, engineers, um, craft labor, lots of welders, machinists. Um, so it's been a, a, an interesting few months with Lanel bringing all these people in. Um, they are trying to hire as much as possible um, New Mexico residents. I believe about 60% of the hires so far have been people from New Mexico, which is, which is great. Um, and they had more new hires between January and March of, of this year than they had of all of, of 2015. Um, now, the, the, the pluses and minuses of that, uh, the, the county has a goal, the county council has a goal of increasing our population to 20,000 by the year 2020. Uh, we've been at 18,000 plus or minus a few hundred for 40 years. I'm very stagnant. Um, the, one of the best ways to grow your economy is to grow your population base. So if you think about it in terms of how do you help your local business sector, probably nothing can help them more than adding another 2,000 customers to their customer base um, by allowing people to live here. Um, the problem is we don't have housing. So next slide here. Um, we have a, a major housing issue, uh, crisis-level housing issue, in terms of the shortage of housing in town. Uh, we need housing across the entire housing spectrum, from multifamily, high-density, which is apartment-type housing for service workforce, all the way up to kind of high-end single-family homes. Um, we have a, a severe need for senior housing, everything from independent living to assisted living, um, all the way up to nursing care. Um, we, we, we have a, a lack of that in the community as well. Um, I mentioned the hotel. We have a, a let me go back to housing. Um, so where we're at with housing right now, uh, the laboratory is hiring so many people. They're coming up here, and if you've noticed, if anyone here has tried to buy or sell a house this summer, you've, you've witnessed that. Most of the single-family homes are selling within a matter of hours of going on the market. Um, a lot of them are selling before they even go on the market. Most of them are going competitive, meaning the bids are over the asking price. Um, so if you're a seller, it's, it's very good. If you're a buyer, th there's nothing to buy. Our apartment complexes are completely leased up with wait lists. Um, people with rental properties literally can post an available rental property on social media and have it rented within 20 or 30 minutes. It's that fast. 
Um, the laboratory is starting to feel pressure in terms of their ability to continue to recruit top talent because they want to live here because of the quality of life in the school system and there is no housing and so uh, the recruiting uh, the recruits are either choosing to work somewhere else or to live in Santa Fe. So we have this golden opportunity to increase our population here that we're, we're not going to be able to capitalize on because of lack of housing. Um, and this has been a problem here for, for some time. Uh, one of the issues we face is the, you know, we don't have a lot of available land, right? So we're surrounded by Department of Energy land, National Forest land, um, Native American Pueblo land, and canyons. And so that's hard to build on, on that. Um, we do have a few parcels that are available that are being talked about. Most of those are owned by the county. That's another difference. In other communities, a lot of land is, is privately owned. Here, it's owned by the county because it's transfer land that's come from the Department of Energy. Uh, so the land that's available for housing that we're working on now, the, there's a 60-acre uh, a section in White Rock called A19 that is just west of the fire station and visitor center and extends down toward Parrito Road. Um, there have been multiple attempts by the county to bring developers in to, to work on that. Um, the, the current selected developer is in a due diligence period. Um, it's kind of an extended due diligence period. There's, there's some issues with uh, basalt in the ground there and, and how do you um, affordably remove basalt um, when you're excavating to, to build a development. But that, has the, that site has the ability to, to, to hold somewhere around 95 to 100 single-family homes and potentially uh, a few hundred multifamily units there. There's a second piece of property <clears throat> up here in the town site called A8, which is uh, just to the east of the new Smiths building on the south side of DP Road. Um, that is about a nine-acre parcel right up on the road that's kind of square-shaped that goes back to the canyon and then a, like a finger that extends down along the, uh, the mesa to the east that's another um, 19 acres or so. But that, that rectangular piece there was one of the, the projects that our organization was really pushing on uh, the county council to spend some money to bring infra utility infrastructure to the edge of that property um, to entice a developer to come in. And it, that's, that's prime property for multifamily um, housing there. So whether it's condos, townhomes, apartments, something like that, it, it's right on the edge of downtown. It's near the bus system. Um, so it's, it's, it's a good piece of property for that. And uh, the, the county council at one time was considering locating a, a recreation center that might be built through this bond package on that piece of property. And so we, part of the advocacy we did was to ask them to, to kind of rethink that and, and see if there was a better location for a rec center. And, and they did. There, there's a piece of land just to the east of that um, that environmentally is not suitable for residential but could absolutely house a, a recreation center, and that's what's being considered now. Um, so housing is a big issue. That takes up a lot of my time right now. Um, as opposed to recruiting new companies or helping people locally start, uh, um, start new businesses. I'm, I'm focused a lot on housing right now because none of those companies can operate here if there's not a place for employees to live. Um, so one of the, the larger things, and again, this is a bit outdated, uh, that we're facing here again is the, the state budget deficit. Um, there was a 450 to $500 million deficit in this current fiscal year. That's going to go up. The latest estimates are about another $100, $150 million higher than that. 
Um, and then $250 million from last fiscal year that ended in June that was fixed during the special session of the legislature in September, but revised estimates for that have come out, and they've got to find another $130 million to pay for last year's spending as well. And that's due to oil and gas. Um, oil and gas revenues are down in the state. Our state is heavily, if not almost solely, dependent on oil and gas. Um, and that's the effect of not having a diversified economy, is when that sector goes down, the entire state goes down with it. Um, so we're hopeful that the legislature um, and both sides of the aisle can come together and, and uh, on something um, in January this session to address the budget deficit without gutting important things like um, economic development work, which goes straight towards diversifying the economy, um, and especially the school systems, both K through 12 and higher education. And um, unfortunately, pretty much right now, everything is, is um, susceptible to budget cuts. Nothing is, is being held off limits. Um, so we will pay a close eye to what's going on um, at the state legislature in, in January. So uh, where are we headed quickly? And I'll, I'll wrap up here in the next two minutes. Um, so as I said, opportunities exist, especially in healthcare, hospitality, and tourism. We have a, a very growing and I'd say vibrant entrepreneurial and, and technology-based business community here that we've not seen in, in some years. Um, we have several initiatives underway to address housing shortages. I'm, I'm meeting with developers this week um, coming up to, to try to address that issue. Um, and again, you know, we're trying to hit this 20,000 population mark by, by 2020. Next slide. And so that's the end of that. I, I will touch briefly on inclusive economic development and give you a teaser for, for next spring. What that is is a growing trend in the economic development industry um, is 25 years ago, economic development was where can I go and find a business somewhere else that's going to bring a lot of jobs and a lot of money to my community, and I'm going to take them and steal them, recruit them, move them to my community. Um, that, you know, is a net gain for one community, but a net loss um, for another community, and it's kind of a wash overall when you look at the, the larger community, you know, when the nation as a whole. What's developed out of that as we've moved forward is more focus on homegrown entrepreneurial type businesses. I think the, the statistic is 80% of the jobs created in this country are created by companies um, with less than 500 employees. And of that 80%, another 80% of the 80% is created by companies with less than 50 employees. So the notion that large multinational firms are job creators is actually false, and there's data to prove that. The job creators are your local mom-and-pop small businesses in, in your community. So there's been a lot of focus on that. Inclusive economic development is um, a strategy that focuses on uh, all, all socioeconomic groups within your community. Um, so a great example of this is, and, and um, I'll end with this, is a large urban area, a lot of the times a uh, community will go out in a big city and build a brand new football stadium, sports arena, something like that, and along with it comes hotel and convention, fancy office space, and a big restaurant retail complex that's grown up to create an entertainment district around the sports facility. Oftentimes those sit right on the edge of, or right in the middle of, um, some very uh, depressed socioeconomic areas within the community. So what you have there is um, a community and a culture that all of a sudden has all of this development, all of this money that comes in, and the development that goes around there caters to wealthy 
um, wealthy Caucasian people, to be honest, who come in there and spend a lot of money, go to the football game, go to fancy restaurants, and the people that live there or right around there who've had businesses there for years, local businesses that cater to their community, are pushed out. And so inclusive economic development is the thought of how do we, how do we bring that together? And so how do we build these new developments? Um, and this is just one example for a sports complex, but allow the opportunity for existing local market businesses to participate in that new complex. Um, so that you're not just pushing those people further out to the fringe, but you're actually bringing them in. Um, and that's what I hope to, to spend more time on in, in, a, in another forum this spring. So take any questions? I think we have about five minutes. Um, I have three questions. Okay. <clears throat> First one uh, involves Main Street primarily, but also uh, tourism. Is White Rock included in the in the in that project, or should it have a separate one? So, in in terms of Main Street, um, the way the National Main Street program works and the State Main Street program is, you must have a physically defined Main Street district, um, and that is basically the the major downtown retail area of your community. So, our Main Street district is defined as the the downtown area of the town site. Um, that being said, White Rock has just as much of an opportunity in terms of tourism with the Bandelier shuttle stop there, the amount of tourists that come through and stop right on Highway 4 across from White Rock's um, retail area. Uh, you know, the county council put together this White Rock master plan. They invested $20 million over 10 years into White Rock with the new visitor center, the fire station, um, redoing Highway 4 and the streetscapes. Those, if you haven't seen the, the giant Native American pots that are lying the street, those are fantastic. Um, so, yes, we, when I talk about economic development, what we do, it's not just Los Alamos. White Rock is included in that um, in, in terms of the, the big picture. Okay. Uh, the second question involves access. Um, you, you talk as if housing was the only problem, but if you increase the housing up here very much, you're going to increase traffic on the highways. And the only state-owned right-of-way coming up to the hilltop is... Uh, is Highway 503, which is quite an, uh, an exciting trip for, right. for a stranger right. that's never, never seen it before. Um, and the only access to White Rock, the access we use to White Rock every day uh, is at the whim of a, an Indian tribe. Right away doesn't belong to the state. Uh, it, it strikes me that's uh, a harder ceiling on the population you could have than than housing is. Well, the 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 thought there is we currently have between six and eight thousand people a day commuting from outside of the county to work here. Um, the thought is a lot of those people, not all, but a lot of them would prefer to actually live up here. 
Um, so if there are more housing opportunities available, you'll decrease the number of commuters, you'll decrease the traffic coming up the Main Hill Road because they will already be living in the community or, or down in White Rock um, coming up the truck route or Parito. The other um, part of that is the state. Um, the state is going to redesign the intersection of, of Central and Trinity right to the east of the Hilltop House Hotel um, next year. That, that will be completely redesigned. Instead of a, a fork, it will turn into a, a rather large roundabout that will give um, you know, much easier flow onto both of, the, of, of those two streets, um, depending on if you're a roundabout fan or not. <laughs> um. Third question involves uh, laboratory spinoffs. Uh, historically, there have been, you know, in the last 20 years, there have been any number of laboratory spinoffs start up here and then move to some other place, largely because of accessibility. And uh, I don't think just housing is going to solve that problem, though it helps. So the difference we, we see now than maybe 10 or 15 years ago um, is uh, through the advancement of technology, the ability to work anywhere and reach any customer at any time of day remotely is changing where people need to be. Uh, the second thing is, you know, companies that previously received um, investment from, say, Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, the Boston area, the real estate prices there are so incredibly outrageous that companies are actually leaving those areas now. So we have a, we have a, a couple of companies here that have received money from out-of-state um, investors, both uh, Silicon Valley and, and in the Bay Area and on the East Coast, um, who've made deliberate decisions not to move out there. And their investors have said, we would rather you stay in Los Alamos um, because literally the commercial space in downtown San, Fran San Francisco is about $1,000 a square foot a month to rent. Yeah, so you're looking at, you know, from, from a, a business plan. So, you know, going right here for decent office space is about $18 a square foot a month. Um, so in, if you're going to be a, a smart fiscal use of your money, you know, uh, it makes sense not to be out there. Um, so that, that's a, a big difference from 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, I had a couple of questions. Uh, how's the consortium doing out there by the food co-op? And... Is there any opportunity to develop that land to the west of the food uh, co-op? And then also, would you uh, touch on the old Metzger's um, space down there by uh, Diamond Drive? If there's anything going on. Oh, down okay, there? okay. Yeah. So the, the New Mexico Consortium, which is a a, a, a nonprofit consortium of New Mexico State, um, New Mexico UNM, and New Mexico Tech that is, uh, was created to uh, facilitate R&D interactions between the universities and the laboratory. Um, they have space both in, in the building that we own, the research park building, where they have supercomputing facilities, and then their biology, plant biology laboratory and greenhouse out by the co-op in the Holiday Inn. Um, that organization has been one of the, the best examples of diversification in, in our economy in, in quite some time. They are... Um, quite literally busting at the seams in terms of space. So that new building that's now five years old is completely full. They've had to bring in two modular buildings for additional office space out there. And um, yes, you know they are they're, they're always pursuing opportunities that could lead to even more expansion of of that group. So that's a a great opportunity for uh, you know 
educated technical workers, whether they're technicians or, or PhD research scientists, to have our opportunities to work here outside of, of the laboratory. Um, as far as the, the old Metzger's gas station there at, at Diamond by the high school, um, yeah, my understanding there is, you know, it's, it's still owned by Metzger's, so um, Greg Metzger um, is, is still owns that, and I, I believe that, it, you know, they would entertain leasing or, or buying options on that. I'm not sure off the top of my head. It's well over 100 full-time employees. Yes. Okay. I know I could have asked you this at home. But, uh, but uh, one of the things that we've often talked about is uh, the lack of labor here. Not, not skilled labor, not scientists, but you know, dishwashers and waiters and handymen and all of those kind of things. Is the county looking at all to um, try to increase the labor force to support things like hospitality? So it's it's not just a problem here. It's all of northern New Mexico, um, especially with the laboratory hiring. There are now businesses in the valley that are short of employees. Um, you know. A, a mom and pop uh, HVAC repair company, let's say for example, or plumbing company that has four or five plumbers or welders um, employed. Well, three or four of those have left and gone to the laboratory now because they're hiring so much, which is great, right? They they have um, high-paying jobs, great benefits, but for the local company, that's that's really tough. The, again, the problem in northern New Mexico is is similar to Los Alamos in that. Uh, Unemployment is actually relatively low everywhere across northern New Mexico. There are more jobs in the valley than there are people. Um, we have a population problem more than we have a, a labor shortage. So, the, again, the, the people that are out of the workforce, the unemployment rate that you see in northern New Mexico um, is, is composed of people that are probably permanently out of the workforce for whatever reason. Um, they're not actively job-seeking. Active job-seekers are not having trouble finding jobs, either in Los Alamos or, or down in the valley or, or north of here. Um, the problem is just a lack of population in general. The state's population is, is under two million. It's actually declining over the past five years. Um, you've got a, you know, more than 50% of the population in the greater Albuquerque metro area, another third of it down in the Las Cruces area, and then everyone else is scattered. Um, so it's more of how do we get more people in the state and in northern New Mexico more than anything else. All right, we're going to have to take the further discussion across to the uh, coffee room. Uh, we have a major transition approaching for John's uh, Discworld festivities. <laughs> so let's give Patrick our hand.